Welcome to the Thought Echoes podcast, where we have an opportunity to listen in as people reflect on their relationship with their thoughts and their creative work and how it's changed since their brain injury. My name is Beth Bonnes, host of the Thought Echoes podcast. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed this month's interview. My name is Andy Dovey. Uh, as people can probably tell from my accent, I'm in the UK. And it was May, the end of May 2013, when uh, it happened. And I had no idea what was happening at the time. Um, but it subsequently transpired. It was a cerebellar stroke. I, I had no idea what a stroke was at the time. I, I'd heard the expression, didn't know what it was. But it was some kind of mild heart attack or something like that. I had no idea it was a brain injury. And uh, I ended up being uh, rushed to hospital, blue lighted to hospital, and uh, I've then got five missing days. And uh, I eventually came round in the neurosurgery ward at the hospital, and uh, people explained to me, "Oh, you've had a stroke, and it went a bit went a bit wrong. Uh, you developed complications, and you've had brain surgery to uh, decompress your skull." I, I developed something called hydrocephalus which is water on the brain pressure pressure builds up in the brain and uh, my wife was told we've got to operate now otherwise he's going to die so uh, here, here we are nine, nine and a bit years later that I can't imagine what that was like for you and your wife and especially to lose the five days um, it, it, it's weird I, I, even now stuff will come out i mean maybe in conversation with my wife or one of my one of my sons or my stepson or my stepdaughter and and they'll say something and i'll go oh when did that happen then oh that was when you were in icu or that was when you know and so even now nine nine and a bit years i'm still learning about things that happened in in that uh, in in those five missing days apparently um i was quite compassmentous so i was initially on the stroke ward and I was chatting to people. My wife noticed there were odd things about my behavior. And um, she says, basically, I was going into performing mode. I, prior to all this happening, I was a musician, I was a drummer. So uh, you get to a point where the, the show has to go on, even though you might not be feeling too well, or you've got a bad back, or you've got a headache, but you've got to go ahead with the gig. So the doctors and nurses would come around and talk to me and I'd be talking to them and, and they'd disappear and I'd slump back down in bed. And my wife was like, there's something wrong here. So she, she nagged the staff and eventually they took me down for a, a brain scan, saw that I had hydrocephalus. And it's like, right, we, we need to get into the OR. We've, we've, we've got to operate. So I had six hours of brain surgery. I've still got a hole in my skull where they had a drain tube inserted and I've got a bit of skull missing around the back of my neck where they had to take some skull out to uh, allow my brain to swell, an area to swell into, so the fluid in my brain could, could drain out and the pressure could decrease. So, yeah, even even now I'm still learning about these, these magical five missing days. Wow. In looking at, you talked about being a musician, so can you uh, share a little bit with what was your relationship with your thoughts to the extent that you thought of your thoughts, you know, in your relationship before your injury? And how has that changed in whatever capacity 
um, as you've discovered after after the stroke? Yeah, that's um, that's that's a very good question. Um, one one of the things that I've learned is that my um, main the main focus of my thoughts prior to all this happening was I put other people first. So my family came first and to, 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 to possibly my detriment. So um, I didn't really think too much about me. I, I thought about others. So I didn't really think about me, my health, my circumstances. If something meant I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and keep going until five o'clock the next morning, then I did, if that's what it required. So I, I was, I guess, kind of reactive. If there was something put in front of me that needed doing, I, I'd do it. And when you can't do that anymore, as, as, as you will know, Beth, mm-hmm. uh, you, you go from point zero in your life, which is you're perfectly healthy and everything's happening, to the next day, or in my case, five, five days later. Um, but the next point, point one, which is all of a sudden that's all changed. But mentally and emotionally, you're the same person, you think, but you haven't. You've, you've changed dramatically. So you, you then spend a long time trying to catch up with where you should be mentally and emotionally. So I think I was in denial for a couple of years because I'm still too busy thinking about, oh, I've got to get back to work. I've got this gig to do. I've got this to do over here, blah, 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 blah. Sitting up in hospital bed with tubes coming out of me everywhere, thinking about, I can't use my left hand. How am I, how am I going to drum? I can't pick up a bed sheet. How, how am I going to drum? How can I earn? How can I earn money? I've got bills to pay. I've got things to do. Daft, you know. You you've nearly died, and and all you can think about is, oh, I've got an email somebody. <laughs> you know? So I've learned over time to think more about me. That's not being selfish. That's not being narcissistic. That's not being self-obsessed. But I actually need to think about me. I need to think about my health. I need to think about my circumstances. I need to think about my life, which I never really thought about before. So I would say my relationship with my thoughts has kind of gone 180. It's gone from almost one extreme to another. It's gone from not really thinking about myself at all to thinking about myself a lot, not the least of which is when you have mobility issues, you've got to think about everything you do. It's got to be planned with military operation. And and then when you have bad fatigue issues, which I do, you have to think about, well, am I actually capable of doing that thing when I want to do it? Well, actually, no, because the day before I'm doing something else. So I need to plan a rest day, maybe two rest days before I do the next thing. So having gone from being just doing stuff whenever I wanted to do it for as long as I wanted to do it, I've now got to think very carefully and in a considered way about when I do stuff, planning rest days, calculate how much I think something's going to take out of me in order to work out how much rest time I need. So I wouldn't say I was self-obsessed, but I realised that I have to think very carefully about me and my limitations before I do anything. I know here in the US, there's a saying, um, and it probably came from all those airline travel, so maybe it's not US, <laughs> but the concept of putting your oxygen mask on first before like a child when they do that in the right. in the airplane, you know, uh, uh, videos. And it really, to me, 
I use that phrase with my kids before the strokes. And mm. at some point, the stress or whatever is going on, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And yeah. it seems selfish, but if you can't be up to whatever is happening for you health-wise, yeah. you're not going to yeah. be able to help somebody else. So there's obviously there's a balance between that. But um, yeah, that can. I think that's a great, that's a great analogy. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and everybody right. kind of knows. Everybody kind of knows that. I think, regardless of whether you're U.S. or not. So. So you're talking about the thoughts in terms of your activity thoughts. Can you speak from the creative aspect of it? So as a musician, you do lyrics, you write lyrics also. Mm -hmm. So yep. can you speak about um, what you did kind of before in how you creatively accessed how you were going to do your lyrics and then what you're kind of doing now? Yeah, well, that's that again is, is a fascinating question. I've probably got over 100 sets of lyrics that I've done nothing with. Lyrics, stroke, poems, they're, they're all completed, they're all filed away on my computer. That's that's how I know there's about 100 because I've got up to about 105. <laughs> but I've never done anything with them. Now, the, the reason is that as a as a jobbing musician, I, I, I taught as well. So I taught drums in a couple of schools and I taught drums in my home studio as well as playing in, in bands. The, the, the playing came into two areas. One is money, earning. So that would kind of be function bands, wedding bands, party bands, those sorts of things. And then fun, that's more the music than I like, sort of 70s progressive rock, kind of Pink Floyd-y sort of stuff. And it, it sounds bizarre because it sounds on the one hand, oh, you're a musician, you're creative, but it's work. So you don't necessarily, at my end of the spectrum, which is the bottom end of the pyramid, you don't necessarily get to choose what you would love to do creatively because you've got bills to pay. So the bills are get paid when you get $500 for, for playing somebody's wedding, right? Playing songs that you don't like, that you've played thousands of times before. Oh, Mustang Sally. Oh, okay. Then Sweet Home Alabama. All oh, right. Okay. Here we go. You know, again. Um, but they pay the bills, you see. Whereas you might rather creatively want to be doing your own thing, playing your own stuff, playing and writing your own drum parts rather than copying what somebody else has paid, played. So that, that it sounds very creative. But it isn't. It's only really creative when you get to the top tier and you can write your own music and sell your own music and, and earn a living from selling your own music. And I was way, 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 way off that. So the creative side of me has, has changed a lot because I can no longer do what I did before. I can't I can't get in the car, drive two hours, unload my drums, set them up, sound check, play for two hours, pack it all away, drive home again go teaching the next day can't do that so i because i've got more time on my hands i've got more time to do the things that i want to do to be creative um so i've lost track beth because i can't remember the question the question <laughs> the que that's okay that's okay yeah. um, brain brain damage what can i tell you <laughs> um the question was about uh your interaction kind of with your thoughts your creative thoughts before 
your right. injury and after your injury. So right. you said that you had all these lyrics that you wrote. Yeah. So can you talk about the, and I understand the, the uh, work aspect of it, um, from the pure doing those lyrics that you did, can you talk about what your process was for those lyrics? And then if you're writing the lyrics now, how has that changed? Yeah, um, it, something would spark an idea, and that might be reading a newspaper article. Uh, that might be something political. It might be something, some kind of fantasy. It, it might be you might watch a movie and there might be a line in the movie that you that you oh that triggers so so it, it could just be you're driving along in a car and you look out the window and you see a nice view and and that would would trigger something so it, it could be anything i didn't really have a style or anything it just something would spark an idea and it might just be you know you jot a you jot a, a nice phrase down on a notepad you come back to it two months later um and it might spark something else you might write a few lines down just a, a kind of little stanza for want of a better expression and that might, might be as far as you get but then you come back to it six months later and that other stuff might just flow or you might sometimes when the muse is with you you just go and it all comes out beautiful don't need to change anything so the the ideas could come come from anywhere and it, it would be very much I'd, I'd do something with that when i've got the time never had the time so they just stayed filed away now it's a lot different because i i i have a purpose um which which we which we may come on to but for um for, for now i i i have a purpose in terms of the main project that i'm working on which is my brain attack music project which is about my stroke story the idea is it will be an album provisionally titled eruption because it's kind of like a volcanic eruption in your head um, and the idea behind that is to try and raise awareness of stroke through music aimed at more younger people to just try and raise awareness of stroke and if i can raise a few pence for charity then fantastic so with the 105 um lyric poems that you mentioned having filed away were those all from before your stroke or half of them before your stroke or no they they, they were all pre-stroke um what actually happened post-stroke was that um initially when i got out of hospital i had uh double vision because of the swelling in my brain it had affected my occipital lobe and i had double vision both vertically and horizontally and something called nystigmus which is when your eyes flicker about so um i i couldn't read i had to have a an eye patch like a pirate over one eye because that took away the double vision and then I could read with one eye but I could only do that for about five minutes before I got very tired I could then move the eye patch over to the eye that I had been reading with read with the other eye that was five minutes and that was me for the day so it took about a year for my eyesight to gradually return to normal so my wife suggested to me, look, you know, you've always been really good at writing. Why, why, why don't you sort of just write some of your thoughts down and some of your experiences down? Okay, fine, great idea. So I would do that with my with my eye patch, my pirate look, and um, that developed into songs, lyrics, poems. But it was kind of like all about my experiences and 
hallucinations I had in hospital when I was coming around out of the anaesthetic and all kinds of all, all kinds of weird stuff. Um, and that just kind of developed. It's like, oh, okay, I've got all this equipment at home, all this computer audio synthesizers stuff. You know, I could I could maybe do something for charity. And it, it just evolved. It evolved, and it, and it it evolved now to the extent where I've got the website up and running. I do podcasts. I do. I've got a YouTube channel. So I I vlog. I've got very. I'm all my. I've done quite a few blogs, and it's it struck me once. It's like oh, I could put these together and maybe do a book. So that's that's another little project that I've got bubbling under. Um, I'm doing some some music for a charity project in in the UK, which is um, every uh, September guys go climbing mountains in the UK. Well, big hills. We don't have too many mountains, um, and that they raise money for stroke charities, and they climb a different mountain hill each each weekend in September, and they call the thing Mount Timber. See what they did there? Mountains, September, Mount, Mount, Mount Timber. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, they, they, they would do a video of their exploits every year. And uh, this year, so they're, they're actually doing it now. Um, this year, I, it, when the video goes on YouTube, it might be my music uh, on the soundtrack for it. Congratulations. There's a guy in the, oh, thank you. Um, there's a guy in the States who's a stroke survivor who's a uh, video um, uh, guy. What's the word? Filmmaker, that's the word. And um, he wants to do a documentary on stroke survivors and their issues and issues for carers and families and all the rest of it, again, to raise awareness. So I'm going to be doing the soundtrack for that. So it, it's, it's really, really weird how things just evolve from a, a kernel of an idea, which was my wife saying to me, I'll just jot down a few ideas about your experiences because I couldn't really do anything else at that time, has evolved into all this sort of unleashed, un- untapped creativity. Really weird how it goes. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, we've, there's so many um, different avenues that you've got. You talked about podcasting and your YouTube channel and, and whatnot. So um, I'll make sure I put that in the podcast notes um, to put those references in there. So um, the next question I wanted to ask you um, is what advice would you give someone who recently had a brain injury? Hmm. Um, I think the first thing, and it might not be that they're capable of doing it right now, depending on the type of brain injury they, that they have and, and, and how, how limited they are, but when they're able, maybe family members can do it for them, is to research as much as they can about their particular brain injury which particular part of the brain has been damaged what that means to them um and there is a a lot of good material i'm trying to add to that with podcasts and and youtube channel there's a lot of good material out there lots of books out there so there's if you can't really read anything you've got podcasts if you can't really do much else uh, if you can't listen to anything there's there's books but there's a lot of material out there so basically research the hell out of your particular circumstances whatever they are um and expect progress to be slow and not linear i remember sitting up in the hospital bed in the neurosurgery ward after my brain surgery i i couldn't walk i couldn't get out of bed on my own 
I had tubes coming out of everywhere and um, thinking to myself, oh, you know, she'll be back at work in a few weeks. The longest I'd been off work prior to that was a couple of weeks with a bad back. And I thought, well, this is obviously a bit bit, bit more serious than the bad back, you know, brain surgery. But I mean, I'm, I'm OK. I'm here. I'm fine. So, you know, give it give it a few weeks and I'll be I'll be back at work. And I was planning out because I, I knew in my head, my diary says, like, oh, there's quite a big gig coming up. This would be like mid-June. There's quite a big gig coming up in September. I can do that one. Well, that's quite good because the schools go back in September, so I can go back and do the teaching. Actually, it's quite good this has happened when it has because it's kind of like over the summer. That's really good. Daft, daft, daft. So, so I had, I was expecting this nice linear progression of, you know, a few weeks to get back to where I was before. And the reality is that you take a couple of steps forward, metaphorically, and probably a couple back. And you might then take another one forward and then go back another two. It, it, it's not it's not linear. I, I imagined in my, in my head it was all going to be nicely mapped out and nicely linear. Because if you break your leg, somebody says to you, oh, yeah, you'll be on crutches for a few weeks and then you'll need a few weeks of physiotherapy and then you'll be back playing soccer again or on the golf course or whatever it is that you do. And the reality is with a brain injury, nobody can tell you the outcome. They, they, the, the doctors like to convince you that they do know, <laughs> but of course they don't. So the classic one is, uh, well, once you reach a year or two years, that's as good as you're going to get, which we all know is rubbish. But of course, they rarely see anybody after a year or two years, so they have no idea how the average patient gets on seven years later, nine years later, because I haven't seen them for years, so they don't know. So, you know, it's going to be slow and it's not going to be linear, but the more work you put in, I think it was Louis Armstrong said about the trumpet, what you put in is what you get out. And my philosophy is that I'm going to keep going and keep pushing because sitting back and doing nothing is not really an option doesn't it's not going to not going to get you anywhere so you've got to keep trying um and and on that note the other thing would be that your recovery is your responsibility and i, I see a lot of folk who oh, i haven't not had the physiotherapist around I, i've lost my pt now i'm not going to see them for a while it's like well you can do stuff for yourself Again, there are plenty of videos on YouTube and all the rest of it. You know, you can do stuff yourself. And even if it's just a little thing, it's better than not doing anything. So I I couldn't use my left hand. As I said earlier, in, in hospital, I couldn't pick up a bed sheet. And I bought a stress ball and therapy putty. And I used to sit at home watching the TV, just playing with this stress ball in my left hand and trying to build up this dexterity and I'd move it in my right hand and see how I could hold it and move it and then I'd try and mimic the movements in my left hand and it was like I kept dropping it on the floor and all kinds of but I wanted to get that mobility back because I wanted to be able to play drums again which I can to about probably 80% of my previous ability but only for about 20 minutes and then the brain goes and that's it but that was my objective and I suspect if I was younger and I wanted to get on the sports field again, my motivation would have been different and I'd been working on different parts of my body. But, you know, there, there's always a way around things to make things, but but you have to put the work in. If you're not going to put the work in, it, it, it won't happen. So that would be the main advice that I would give, I think.
it's, it's so impressive what you've gone through and um, the work that you're doing to share it and raise awareness. And uh, I think too, with my experience, stroke was kind of something that happened to my grandmother age yeah. and it just wasn't in the vocabulary. And so as strokes are happening to more people and younger people, so they're living yeah. lives longer with whatever disability, however far they get and make their progress, talking about how we're all, we all become our project, <laughs> whether yeah. we want to or not. And um, it's just fascinating to talk to everybody with how they- I, I, I think too, Beth, I read some, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I read some stats recently that was saying the incidence in stroke amongst older people, so I think it was like 60 plus, is decreasing as a percentage of that population. But the, the incidence in strokes of people under 60 was increasing. Now, I've got, you know, we will we'll all have personal theories as to why that is, but I, I know pretty sure a lot of what contributed to my issue was that I have quite sticky blood. If I fell over as a kid and cut myself, I'd be like, <laughs> don't worry, it's going to clot soon. Watch this. Which I thought was a good thing. All that as a badge of honour. But, of course, if your blood coagulates really quickly, it's going to clot quite easily. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, for me, it was that and I think stress. I, I, I internalised all my stress. People saw me as a happy-go-lucky. Gosh, you deal with things really well, don't you? And inside, it was all it was all kept within me. But I think also the reason why stress, reason why stroke is increasing in younger people is we live increasingly stressful lifestyles. And you know, when you study stress and what happens to the body with adrenaline, cortisol, and all the rest of it, and we're not releasing any of that, it's not good. Right. It really isn't. So that's why I'm, I'm quite passionate about the. Um, raising awareness of what stroke is and what it's about well everybody is going to appreciate that as you do it if now next question is if you could go back in time what would you tell your pre-brain injured self <laughs> yeah um i think a, f a few things i think the first thing would be just don't take your health for granted and that you know that's so easy to say but of course, when you're relatively healthy and you're not having any issues, you think you're a bit bulletproof. And this has taught me that, you know, that can all change in an instant. And it isn't necessarily a car accident or crossing a road and somebody runs you over or, you know, somebody pulls out a knife and stabs you or whatever. It, it can actually be something like a stroke now I, I should have realized this because i saw my father die when i was 16 of a heart attack so my last memory of him is kneeling in front of a toilet bowl retching i ended up kneeling in front of a toilet bowl retching thinking i'm going to go the same way as my dad i'm having a heart attack i didn't know it was a stroke I said earlier so i should have realized that this any you know like anything life whatever can be taken away from you in an instant i should have known this because it happened to my dad when i, when I was only 16 but i didn't so i think the first thing would be don't take your health for granted so that goes down to you know exercise look at what you eat what you drink not suggesting that we all become buddhist monks or anything like that but 
some degree of perspective on the thing. Um, I think also make things happen in your life. Don't wait for them to happen because if you're waiting for them to happen, it might be too late without sounding morbid about it. And just enjoy life as much as you can. I, I think I've not necessarily the first three or four years post-stroke, but certainly after that point, I've enjoyed life more than I did before. Um, simply because I've got to the point where all the hard work is reasonably out of the way and I feel comfortable with my limitations. I don't necessarily like them, but I come to terms with them. Um, and that's freed me up to be uh, more appreciative of where I'm at. Whereas the first two or three years, it was, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? When am I going to be able to do this again? Why isn't it? Once, I suppose it's kind of like a grieving process in a way. Once you get through that and out the other side, and I'm a bit stubborn, so it probably took me longer than most. But coming out the other side of that, it's kind of like, okay, what can I, what can I do? Not what could I do? What, why can't I do that? So what can I do? Um, and how, and how am I going to do it? And if I can only do two or three things in a week because of the fatigue issue, then that, let's make those two or three things count. Whereas before, those two or three things would have just been frittered away because I'd have been doing 20, 30, 40, 50 different things and they would have had no sense of value. When you haven't got very much, you can have a much higher sense of value on those things, if that makes any sense. So, uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy life as much as you're able. I think that's what I've been telling myself. Great advice. You had uh, wanted to ask the question about what advice would you give to somebody who had a brain injury? What advice mm. would you give to the people who are caregiving for somebody who's had a brain injury? Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> the same first one, which is research, because I, I think the... I'm staggered at some of the stuff. I'm a, a member of probably half a dozen, eight different stroke survivors groups on Facebook, all, all around the place, some in the US, some in the UK, all over the place. And I'm staggered at the number of times I read comments by stroke survivors saying, my family tell me that I'm being lazy. My family, yeah, I know, I know. My family tell me that I'm being lazy though, because I'm in bed most of the day and I don't do this. And my husband or my partner wants to go out and I can't go with them and they tell me that I'm restricting their life and it's all my fault etc. Now I'm sure if these people really cared and loved for the person who had the stroke had the brain injury they would make a bit more effort to research it and find out about it and it isn't laziness as we know it's a brain injury and so I, I think the same thing would apply, which is for the for the family members and the carers and the relatives, research, find out more about your loved one's circumstances, find out more about what brain injury is, find out more about how you can how you can help them. I, I remember in hospital the guy next to me, he couldn't speak. He were, uh, 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 he was trying to talk and he couldn't, and his family came around to see him. And his wife was obviously very caring, 
but she was bombarding him question after question after question and then another question and then another question i had to say to her excuse me i said look please you know, there's a lot going on in his mind you just need to slow everything down just ask one question and then leave it and wait for him to communicate in the best way that he can and you know so that was me two days in trying to help you know and so i i, I think it's easy from a relative or carer's point of view to assume that they know and the reality is there's an awful lot to learn about this so my advice would be just research 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 thank you that's great advice is there anything else that you want to share um that we haven't covered ooh, good question beth um i can't i don't think so because the you've asked some very very good questions and and I think it's succinct enough I'm conscious that I know the first few videos I did I did intro music and I did credits and I did all kinds of stuff and all the rest of it and it suddenly dawned on me nobody's going to watch that they just want to get into the meat of it and don't make it 20 minutes long make it 15 minutes long or, or whatever so I, I think what we've covered is is nice and succinct for, for people to get some benefit from good so um, the website, your main website, you want to say that mm -hmm. and then I'll add it to the podcast info. Okay, that is www.brainattackmusic.com. Okay, that's great. Well, Andy, I wish you the best of luck. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know a lot of people will benefit. Um, that's a pleasure, Beth. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining me this month. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, leave a comment, and subscribe. Until next month, take a moment and hug someone you love.